Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Zuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Zuni Tequila Studios out here in wonderful Las Vegas. We got a terrific show for you today as Matt McCarthy of 98.5 The Sports Hub. He hosts their podcast, Hardcore Baseball. Going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be talking a little Boston Red Sox. We're going to talk some. We're going to talk some AL East. Talk about their upcoming game against the Houston Astros today, and just a little bit of general baseball should be a lot of fun. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board, and a little something I'd like to call touch them all. But first, we have to take a look back at yesterday and try to become better handicappers for it, try to find some trends. I will also say that if you ever have questions for the podcast, feel free to tweet them in at GUnit underscore 81. Did not get any today, so let's just take a look back at yesterday and try to find some trends from that action. So who's streaking and who is slumping? It is time for Rakers and Fakers. Things certainly started off with a bang in Pittsburgh as the Pirates, or should I say the Steelers, were able to knock off the Rockies, or should I say the Broncos, by a count of 14-6. Only two field goals in this one for the Broncos as giving up the runs in this one for the Rockies. Antonio Sensatella, three and a third innings, gives up one home run, but then it was Carlos Estevez out of the bullpen that really had a fun time in two-thirds of an inning. Gives up six runs, four of which were earned, including three home runs. The Pirates were just running rampant in this one with their bats. Sterling Marte, his fifth home run of the year. Josh Bell is 16th. 
Gregory Polanco is fifth, and then Brian Reynolds is fourth. Jordan Lyles didn't have his best start either. Five and two-thirds innings. He gives up six runs, all of which were earned, but credit the Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen. In three and a third innings, they wind up giving up no runs. The Pirates bats with Polanco, Sterling Marte, and company. They are all starting to really hit their peak form. The Mets seem to be coming back with the bats, and that's thanks to the Washington Nationals and their bullpen being so bad. Steven Strasburg, a decent start here for the Washington Nationals. He goes seven innings, he gives up three runs, but only two of which were earned. He was hurt by a Jan Gomes error. And for the Nationals, they've been doing a pretty decent job of being able to get guys into scoring position and everything like that, but they were just three of 14 in those situations as Juan Soto and... Trey Turner and company coming back has helped out the Nationals offense, but what has not helped them out is the bullpen. As Wander Swirl gives up three runs in his one inning of relief to really gas can this game in the eighth inning. And it was courtesy of a Carlos Gomez home run for the New York Mets, his first as a member of the Mets. Steven Mets did a very good job of being able to evade danger in this one. It's six innings pitch. He gives up 10 hits, but just one run. Three of those four runs were given up by Robbie Gazelman, who had been pretty good out of the bullpen this year, as the Mets in general have been doing a solid job. And Jersich Familia wound up pitching an inning without giving up a run, so obviously that was good. But for the Nationals, you just can't trust in this bullpen. You also can't trust in the bullpen of the Baltimore Orioles as the Yankees get a 6-5 win over the O's. The Yankees continue to display long ball on this helpless team for Baltimore as Clint Frazier had his ninth home run of the year. That was off of Dylan Bundy and then Luke Voigt, his 12th thinger of the year. I will say Dylan Bundy actually appears to be doing a little bit of a better job, I guess. Five and two-thirds innings, he gives up three runs, including one of those home runs. 467 is on ZRA, but every one of the players that entered into the game from the bullpen of the Baltimore Orioles gave up approximately one run. So that has obviously been an issue for this team, to say the least. Though they did get a home run out of Renato Nunes. That is his 10th of the year. And for the Yankees, Masahiro Tanaka, another quality start. Six innings pitch, he gives up just one run. And the bullpen of the Yankees has been very good this year, but the one guy that's not holding up his end of the bargain is the man that gave up three runs in one inning. That is Jonathan Holder. He now is an ERA of a 488, but pass that. Yankees have been doing a very good job with their bullpen pitching. The Red Sox, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, have been doing a great job with their bullpen pitching recently. They get an 8-2 win over the Toronto Blue Jays, and it was a very good start for Ryan Weber. He goes six innings, gives up just one run, very good start there. And then from there, the bullpen goes three innings, gives up just one run. That was given up by Hector Velasquez. And for the Boston Red Sox, another huge sign. Steve Pierce in the ninth inning. And I guess you could call it garbage time, gets his first home run of the year. And they did this all without J.D. Martinez in the lineup, putting up eight runs, so that's big. For the Toronto Blue Jays, Clay Richard made his first start of the year, and he didn't look bad. In four innings, he gives up one run. But then from there, a Toronto Blue Jays team that has had a very good bullpen all year long just got destroyed. Ryan Farabend winds up giving up three runs in one and two-thirds innings. You may recall he actually made a start last week. You had Sam Gavilio, who's been very good out of the bullpen for this team all year long, give up two runs in two innings. Elvis Luciano also jacked up his ERA to a 732 by giving up two runs in one and one-thirds innings as well. But the good news for the Toronto Blue Jays is that it seems as though their offense is starting to really round into shape as they were able to get a Justin Spoke home run in the ninth inning in this one, his eighth, and his second in the last two days. A unexpected display of power broke out in Detroit in the ninth inning as the Miami Marlins entered into that ninth inning down by a count of 2-0, to zero, and then they hang 
five runs in the ninth inning to get a 5-2 win. Trevor Richards for the Miami Marlins provided a good start once again. Five and two-thirds innings. He had just one walk, which had been an issue for him. Gives up one run. He now is a 4-1-4 ERA. And then from there, the bullpen was not too bad. Adam Conley does not give up a run, and Sergio Romo gets a save. But the big hit was Garrett Cooper. He gets a grand slam, his second of the year, and that was off of Shane Green, who had been doing such a good job for the Detroit Tigers all year long. But in his defense, there were two errors committed by the Detroit Tigers, so none of those runs were earned. And then Matthew Boyd continues to be a quality starter for the Detroit Tigers. He goes six innings, does not allow a single run. He now has an ERA of a 3.11, but... The Tigers just can't seem to get out of their own way on offense. They had 11 hits, but only two runs. So that is certainly of note, as both those teams still playing a lot of unders. The Phillies and the Cubs had their total go way over as the Phillies were able to get a 9-7 win over the Chicago Cubs. For the Phillies, it was Gene Segura and JT Riamuto, two big offseason signings that provide the power. Segura, his fifth home run of the year. JT Riamuto, his seventh. Aaron Nola, not a great start, but considering the wind was blowing out, not awful. Five and a third innings, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. The big woe for this team was Pat Neshek giving up three runs, including two home runs. Getting those home runs was Anthony Rizzo, his 13th of the year, and Kyle Schwarber, his seventh. That was a part of a Cubs three-run seventh inning. And then Hector Neris had a little bit of a hairy time being able to get to the save, but he managed to. He keeps his ERA at a 208. And for the Chicago Cubs, John Lester got hit and hit hard in this one. He goes four innings, giving up seven runs, four of which were earned. We were talking about this on the podcast with Scott Hastings yesterday that his peripheral numbers were not as good as his ERA, and it clearly showed in this one. Though for the Chicago Cubs, they wound up having to pitch five innings out of the bullpen, and they only gave up two runs. So that's not necessarily too bad. You did have Kyle Ryan give up another run. He's really been not doing the job out there, but not too bad of signs there for the Chicago Cubs. John Lester is a guy that seems to be falling back to earth a little bit. Something that's not falling back to earth, the Atlanta Braves, as they get a 5-4 win in 13 innings over the San Francisco Giants. For the Braves, Kevin Gosman had a eh sort of start. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. But then from there, the bullpen, seven innings, and they give up one run. That one run was given up by Sean Newcomb. You had Luke Jackson go the final two innings to be able to get the win. Tuki Toussaint, Jerry Blevins and company all looked very good. And who also looks very good for the Atlanta Braves? How about Austin Riley? He hits his fifth home run in about a week and a half. He is hitting nearly 400 for the team. He's been sensational. And then Tyler Flowers also had a home run. That came off of Madison Bumgarner, his fifth of the year as Mad Bum. Goes six innings. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned, including that home run. And then the blown save for the San Francisco Giants in that game was by Tony Watson. He winds up giving up two runs in the eighth inning. And then I've been talking about this guy a lot. Reyes Moranta gives up the go-ahead run in the 13th inning against the Atlanta Braves. He has not been a trustworthy guy for the San Francisco Giants bullpen recently. Though Tyler Austin gets another home run for the San Francisco Giants, his second of the series and his fourth of the year. But all in all, the Giants bullpen seems to be coming back to earth. And something else that seems to be on a downtick, the entire pitching of the LA Angels, and that's thanks to the Dark Knight, Matt Harvey, in two and two-thirds innings. He serves up four long balls, giving up eight runs, all of which were earned, as the Minnesota Twins have hit eight home runs. I believe they now have 99 home runs, either that or 98, in their first 49 games of the year. They are on pace for 324 dingers, people. 
It is absolutely insane. Let's just read down the list. Miguel Sano, his third and fourth home runs of the year. Max Kepler, his tenth home run of the year. Jonathan Scope, his ninth and tenth home runs of the year. You had CJ Krohn go deep for his thirteenth of the year, and Jorge Polanco is ninth of the year. As far as the pitching is concerned, the Twins did not necessarily have great bullpen play as giving up five runs while getting two outs was Austin Adams. He now has an ERA of a 16.88, but Martin Perez, another good start, five innings pitch. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned, including a home run, supplying the power for the Angels. Daniel Fletcher is fourth of the year, and then getting those home runs off of Adams was Tommy LaStella, his 12th, and Brandon Goodwin, his fifth. And then the LA Angels bullpen as well did not look good. They wind up giving up Eight runs in five and a third innings. It is all led by No Ramirez, who winds up giving up five runs himself. Cody Allen gives up two. And then it turned into a position player in Jared Walsh having to pitch the ninth inning as well. So that was obviously a very ugly scene. It was a very ugly scene out there for Cleveland as well as the Rays take down the Cleveland Indians by a count of 7-2. Adam Pluko, after a good first start to the year, he got shellacked in five and a third innings, giving up seven runs, all of which were earned, including four home runs. He jacks up his ERA from a 1-5 to a 6-3-5 as the race put on a vulgar display of power. Avicio Garcia, his ninth home run of the year. Tommy Pham, his seventh. Kevin Kiermeyer, his fifth home run of the year. And Willie Adamas, his fourth. And they're doing all this without Yandy Diaz in the lineup, by the way. And then Ryan Yarborough, fresh off the injured list, looks terrific. This is a pitcher that you should be betting on. Seven and a third innings, gives up two runs, both of which were earned. He had a really rough start to the year, but now looks like that trip on the injured list actually did him some good. And for the Cleveland Indians, the bullpen continues to be good. In three and two-thirds innings, did not give up a single run and gave up just two total hits. And everyone that came out of the bullpen for the Cleveland Indians had an ERA of a 3.75 or greater. So obviously a redeeming quality there. And I keep saying it with this team, their bullpen is much improved, but they didn't need it as the Chicago White Sox Blank the Houston Astros by a count of 4-0. Lucas Giolito, a complete game four-hitter. He lowers his ERA to a 277. He is now 6-1. He has been one of the big surprises out there in baseball, one of the most profitable pitchers out there for you. So that's something that you want to note. How about Eloy Jimenez being able to give the White Sox a little bit of a boost on offense as well? He hits his sixth home run of the year, and the White Sox were able to get this win despite hitting two for 13 with Bennett in scoring position. They pounded out 11 hits as Corbin Martin... Did not have a good start in this one. Three and a third innings. He gives up four runs, three of which were earned. He was hurt a little bit by an error. But you also have to say for the Houston Astros, the team with the best bullpen ERA there in the big leagues, they did their job. Five and two-thirds innings. They don't give up a single run as well. So what did we learn from this wonderful day in baseball? The Minnesota Twins, who, oh, by the way, have been making you over nine units so far this year if you bet one unit on them on the road in every game so far this year. They continue to roll. The bullpen of the Houston Astros continues to be trustworthy. The bullpen of the Washington Nationals is absolutely lackluster, though their bats seem to be coming around. The Pirates seem to have really struck some gold with their bats. The Baltimore Orioles, you can't trust in their bullpen, but you can trust in the bullpen of the Boston Red Sox. The Detroit Tigers continue to be the Detroit Tigers. The Atlanta Braves are actually getting some good bullpen pitching, and Austin Riley is a difference maker in that offense. The Minnesota Twins just continue to hit home runs, and the Tampa Bay Rays continue to win games by two-plus runs. They've now won 26 of their 29 games by two-plus runs. That is what we learned from Thursday out there in Major League Baseball. Let's turn the page forward. Let's take a little bit of a look at the AL East. Let's take a look at the Boston Red Sox, and let's have some fun with our man, Matt. 
Matt McCarthy out there with 98.5 The Sports Hub. That's up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. We're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in wonderful Las Vegas. Great pleasure to have on our next guest. He is based out there in the city of Boston where he hosts a podcast for 98.5 The Sports Hub. It is called Hardcore Baseball. And the man that is joining me right now is a proud graduate of Ithaca College does a little bit of everything when it comes to covering baseball. And you can follow him on Twitter at MattMcCarthy985. And then that is Matt spelled M-A-T-T. And Matt, it is a pleasure to have you on today. How are you? Greg, I'm doing great. Hope all is well out in Vegas. All is very well. And it seems as though things have been going pretty well for the Boston Red Sox recently. Obviously, it took a loss a couple days ago against the Blue Jays in that series. But ever since the rough first couple weeks of the year, Things have really turned around for the Red Sox, obviously. You get to see this team up close and in person. What have you noticed that has led to this big turnaround? Because I think the biggest thing for me is the fact that Christian Vasquez at the catcher spot has went from hitting right around 200 to now hitting above 300. That has been completely shocking to me. Yeah, it's it's interesting, Greg. I feel like the, the thing about the Red Sox this year is they've surprised in, in many ways. They surprised us all in a bad way. Uh, by starting the season very poorly. I mean, after opening up 2018, 17-2, they had a really rough start to the season. Ultimately, they were able to turn things around, but not for the reasons that you would have expected, not because of their starting pitching. I mean, you think about a starting staff that carried them to a World Series title last year. Chris Sale has one win in his last, like, 15 starts, dating back to last year. Nathan Avaldi's hurt. Uh, David Price has been on the DL. Rick Porcello really hasn't been all that great. But the reason they've been able to turn things around is they've gotten a lot of unexpected performances from guys like Christian Vasquez. I've always been a believer that he can hit more than he's shown at the big league level. I never believed that he was a 300 hitter, though, and I never believed he was going to set a new career high in home runs in the middle of May. So we didn't see that coming. Michael Chavis, who's arguably maybe their top prospect in overall a weak farm system, has come up and has given this team life in a big way. He's got nine home runs in like 100 big league at-bats. He's been an absolute spark plug for them. And a guy out of the bullpen by the name of Marcus Walden, who nobody has ever heard of before, probably will never hear of again, is 6-0. He's got like a 1-3 ERA, and there's a legitimate case that he should be an American League All-Star. So, like, yeah, they've turned things around. They're starting to play better baseball, but not for the reasons that we would have expected. And you mentioned Marcus Walden out there in the bullpen. I've actually been talking about him quite a bit on the podcast. He's a very trustworthy guy. I like what I've seen out of Heath Hembree recently. He looked bad at the beginning of the year. He's worked his way through it. Brandon Workman has been doing good for this team. Matt Barnes. The one guy I always have concerns about, though, is Tyler Thornburg. I feel like, all in all, the Boston Red Sox bullpen has been very good, but Tyler Thornburg has just been a thorn in the side of the Boston Red Sox, to say the least, and I'm pretty sure you feel the same way. Yeah, here's the thing, you know, so Thornburg was acquired from the Brewers a few years ago for Travis Shaw. I'm a Brewers fan, believe me, I'm still laughing about that trade. Exactly. You guys absolutely won that trade. I mean, clear as day. It's the one lone blemish, Greg, on Dave Dombrowski's tenure in Boston, trading Travis Shaw to Milwaukee for Thornburg, who, as you can attest to, was a good pitcher before he came to Boston. Then he had this thoracic outlet surgery, 
which is the new age Tommy John in baseball. Like, you know how guys are bouncing back from Tommy John stronger than ever before? It was a surgery that used to be, you know, a, a death knell for pitchers, and it isn't anymore. This thoracic outlet syndrome surgery is the new age Tommy John. You know, the guys who have had it, they've seen their careers either ruined or derailed or, or ended as a result. Matt Harvey has never been the same. Chris Carpenter saw his career ended by this. Josh Beckett had this at the end of his career. Guys don't bounce back from this injury. It, it just doesn't happen. So Thornburg, you know, frankly, is just has never bounced back. And he's got an ERA approaching eight now. They've got 13 pitchers on this roster right now. I don't know why he's still here. The only reason he's still here is that Dave Dombrowski is trying to get this thing to work out, and it's just not going to work out. You know, the best executives in sports are able to cut bait when they realize they've made a mistake. Nobody's better than that than the New England Patriots. They'll trade for somebody. They'll sign somebody. They'll cut him in camp. Oh, this isn't going to work out. Whatever. Dombrowski keeps trotting this guy out there. It's the only reason he's on the roster, because he's trying to make that trade work. Sometimes it's okay to admit in sports that you screwed up and a deal didn't work, and that's what's happening with the Red Sox and Tyler Thornburg right now. They should have moved on a while ago. They still haven't, and there's only one reason why they haven't, and that's because Dave Dombrowski won't allow it to happen. Absolutely, as it is Matt McCarthy joining me right here on the podcast. This tremendous work for 98.5 The Sports Hub. And taking a look forward to Friday's matchup, it is going to be the Boston Red Sox and the Houston Astros. Right now I'm seeing a pitching matchup of Chris Sale, who you mentioned a little bit earlier, against Wade Miley. Obviously these two teams hooked up in Boston about a week ago. Now they're going to be playing out there in Houston. What do you expect from this series? Because the series in Boston, Houston was able to take two out of three. We saw the start that Chris Sale had against Miley. They were able to get the win in that one, the Red Sox were. I think that this is two of the best teams out there in the big leagues. But I do feel like the Houston Astros do have a little bit of an edge in this one, just because they do have the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. And then they do have that guy in George Springer, though we do know that he's been dealing with some injuries himself. Yeah, I mean, Springer's been an absolute monster, and he, I mean, single-handedly won them that Friday night game last weekend at Fenway Park. I mean, Springer's been just an absolute force. As far as the series goes, Greg, at least this is the way we're viewing it locally. The Astros are a huge litmus test for this Red Sox team, because while they have started to turn things around and they have started to play better baseball, they're not really playing entirely up to their capabilities. Uh, they're not dominating series. They're not dominating games the way that they did last year. They're better than a third-place team, which is where they still are in the American League East. So you'd like to see them go and take two out of three from the Astros. I'm not ready to predict something like that would happen at this point because I just don't think they've fully hit their stride this year. And, you know, listen, it's Memorial Day. It remains to be seen if they will fully hit their stride. But the Astros are a good opportunity to kind of test where you are. And I think last weekend's series was proof that the Red Sox are getting better, but they're not there yet. And, I mean, listen, Wade Miley's on the mound on Friday night. I know Wade Miley has pitched well this year for the Astros. I know he pitched well for the Brewers last year. I saw Wade Miley pitch here in Boston. That guy's a bum, all right? And they should absolutely knock him around the park, especially that ballpark in Houston Friday night. Particularly seeing him twice in five or six days, I want to see this Red Sox team go out there and beat the tar out of a soft-tossing lefty like Wade Miley. I want to see them do that. I'm just not so sure if they're going to get a great outing from Chris Sale as well because he's been so inconsistent and the Astros are seeing him for the second time in five days. So I would expect a higher scoring game in that one than perhaps you might think just because both these teams have seen those pitchers for the last, for, you know, two times in the last week. And something I've noticed in baseball in general is 
Some of these soft-tossing pitchers have actually had success. You take a look at Wade Miley. Last year, he was good with the Brewers. This year, he has 37 strikeouts in 56 and a third innings, yet he has a 3-5-1 ERA. He does a good job of not walking, guys. We're seeing this with Kyle Hendricks with the Chicago Cubs as well. I remember there was a stretch of three starts in which I think he gave up zero earned runs and had a complete game while going eight innings in the other two. He's a guy that can't strike out my mother in all honesty. He's not a guy that's throwing heat at all. Do you think that maybe because we have such an emphasis on these guys being able to throw 95 plus that these guys that throw in the like mid to upper 80s and just do a good job of having command actually throws these guys for a loop just because they're not seeing it every day? You know, I'm not 100% sure what the answer is to that. I'll just say it's refreshing, isn't it? I mean, sure, it's cool to see everybody coming out of the bullpen throwing 98 miles an hour, but I still can appreciate, and it sounds like you can still appreciate, Greg, the crafty pitcher, the guy who knows how to pitch. I love watching Hendricks pitch. You know, just a guy who's going to get the ball, he's going to throw it, he's going to keep hitters off balance, he's going to use a number of different pitches, and that's refreshing in baseball. You know, particularly with the high strikeout rate, I think there is a place in baseball for a guy who can pitch to contact and a guy who knows how to get out, particularly in this launch era in baseball. I think there are a lot of holes and hitters' swings that you can attack, and it doesn't always have to be strikeouts. You know, we'll see if this kind of continues to trend in this way. I mean, w- let's be honest, it's not trending in this way, but I'd like to still see pitchers like that in the game because think about it, particularly a starting pitcher, too. In a day and age in baseball where guys are only going five or six innings and you consider that a good start, a guy like Kyle Hendricks can go later into outings because he's not exerting as much. He knows how to pitch. He can pitch to contact. He can keep his pitch count down. That's refreshing in, in this day and age in baseball. And I hope we see more of that in the coming years. I hope we find more pitchers who figure out that you can live at the big league level pitching like that. I do agree with you, as we do have Matt McCarthy joining me on the podcast. And if you actually want to know my personal opinion, it's that these guys are throwing a little bit softer. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they've got good command. And I know that a guy that has very good command is Chris Sale. If I remember correctly, He has the best strikeout-to-walk ratio of anyone for his career that's currently out there in baseball. We're seeing it with Hunjin Ryu. He's right now leading the league in regards to average with a 1.52. He's only issued, I believe, three walks so far this year. I just think that there's such a premium on pitchers that don't walk, guys, because they're able to go deeper in these starts. And we're noticing it across baseball. These teams with their bullpens, you really don't have too many that you could trust. Right, and so that's the thing about Sale, and that's one of the reasons why he struggled so much at the beginning of the year is his command wasn't there. And a lot of people were focusing on the velocity, which was down to start the year, and it's still not back to where it was last summer. Whether that's strategic, whether that's a pitcher who's aging and is pitching a little bit differently, I guess that remains to be seen. But Sale was beat up pretty good to start this year. I mean, you know, he started the year 0-5 with an ERA of 6 because he didn't have his command. He didn't have his command of his secondary pitches. He was wild in the zone. And now all of a sudden you've seen Sale get his command back. His command dipped a little bit last weekend against Houston, and that's why he only lasted five innings, and that's why he struggled. Red Sox bullpen Marcus Walden bailed him out of that game, but the command wasn't there for him. It's been odd to watch that, you know, with a pitcher like Sale, who, you know, was normally so sharp to start these years. And, yeah, I mean, the command was there right away, and you just took it for granted, given that, you know, when he's on, I mean, his command is impeccable. It's getting back to that point, 
and that's why you're starting to see the strikeout numbers pile up. That's why you're starting to see him dominate some of these outings, because the command is back for him. But it's not where it was, say, last summer. We're still waiting for that moment. It seems like it's coming, but it remains to be seen. I think it's going to be really interesting because we do have a great AL East race right now. The New York Yankees have a slight lead over everyone else. We're noticing the Tampa Bay race falling back to earth a little bit. I think that a little bit can be chalked up to the fact that now they're having to go to their bullpen even more than they expected with the Tyler Glass now injury. On Friday, they're going to be going up against a Cleveland Indians team that is actually going to be playing against the Boston Red Sox on Memorial Day. I think that this is going to be so interesting. What do you make out of the Tampa Bay Rays right now? Do you think that they're going to have staying power in the AL East? Because I think without Glasnow, now it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle because he's going to be out of the lineup for about a month, it sounds like. Yeah, that's a huge blow for them because, you know, they're a team that relies so heavily on the top of that starting rotation. Glasnow, Snell, Morton, obviously a wily veteran, knows how to pitch. And then at the end of the rotation, they'll use the opener. They'll rely heavily on that bullpen. But I think that strategy gets exposed a little bit when you lose the horse at the top of your rotation. Listen, you lose your ace, and he's been their ace this year. I mean, he was the you know Cy Young frontrunner before he got hurt. That's going to hurt any team. It's going to hurt a team like the Tampa Bay Rays even more so. Like the Red Sox are, you know, could lose David Price for a month. They lost him for three weeks. They were fine without him. They had the depth to you know get past it. Do the Rays have it? I'm not sure. I'll say this, though. When it comes to a whole season, a whole macro look at the Rays, this will hurt them, but I think they absolutely do have staying power in the American League East, and I think they have staying power in the American League, most importantly, because I still don't think there's a middle class in the American League. You've got the top teams, you've got the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Astros, and then who is it after that? I mean, I know the Indians, okay, I mean, they're not as good as they once were. The Twins have had a good season. I don't think anybody buys in on them. The A's have fallen back to the past. There's no middle class. Either got really good teams or really bad teams in the American League, and the Rays have been able to take advantage of that. They took advantage of that last year. They won 90 games somehow, some way. I fully expect them in a weak American League to absolutely compete for a wild card spot. You could easily see both of the wild card teams coming out of the American League East. That would be my prediction. I think the Red Sox and the Rays are going to be your wild card teams in the American League. I don't like anybody out west outside of the Astros. I don't like anybody in the Central, be it the Twins or the Indians, to win that division. The second place team in that division isn't as good as the Rays or the Red Sox or the Yankees. So I think that's what you're going to see. I think the Rays will stick around. They'll find a way to get past the glass note thing. It's going to hurt them. It's going to hurt them in a big way. But, you know, when it comes to September and, you know, the teams that will finish the season in those two wild card spots, I've still got my money on Tampa Bay and the Red Sox. I think it's going to be very fascinating to see what happens with that as Matt McCarthy joins me right here on the podcast. And I do agree with you. I think that it's probably going to be three teams from the AL East that do make the playoffs. And it sounds like you're very bullish on the Yankees being able to win the division. I think so interesting that they get out to a 30-17 and 17 start despite the fact that they've got so many guys on the injured list. John Carlos Sain, we all knew that they'd be without Didi Gregorius. At earliest, Luis Severino, it sounds like, is going to be back at the All-Star break. Miguel Andujar was back for a little bit. He's back on the injured list. Heck, I think their ball boy somehow, someway dislocated his right shoulder. I mean, it's absolutely insane. How big of a fear is it for folks out there in Boston knowing that the Yankees are so banged up, but yet they're still winning all these games? Yeah, I think the sense here is in town that the Yankees will win the division. 
based on the fact that they've done so well with all these players, basically half their roster on the injured list for much of this season. I guess you can look at it one of two ways, Greg. So you can say, all right, well, the Yankees are only going to get better when those injured players come back. Or you could say, well, all right, do these injuries still linger? I mean, and Duhar was supposed to come back. He's not coming back. Is Severino going to be the same pitcher that he was once he comes back from this thing, if he comes back from this thing? Stanton uh, still on the DL, Judge still on the DL. How long do these injuries linger, and then do they eventually kind of regress back to the mean where they should be with all these players not on the roster? I'm more of the belief that these guys are going to come back and they're going to win the division as a result because the Red Sox haven't been able to take advantage. I mean, yeah, I would feel much better about this if the Yankees were injured and still playing well, but the Red Sox were playing up to their capabilities and were leading the American League East. You're still, what, four games behind this team or or whatever it is? I haven't checked the standings today. You're still four games back of this team, and they're this banged up and they're this injured. I'll take the Yankees as my division winner as a result because they've played so well, and theoretically, they're only going to get better, and I don't know if the Red Sox can play up to a strong enough level to surpass them you know, between now and the end of the season. I just haven't seen that from the Red Sox yet, and I've seen more of it from the Yankees. The Yankees have been able to do it. Finding guys like Gio Urshela to be able to give them quality at-bats has been insane. And what's something that has really stood out to you so far this year in baseball, just personally? Because I always like to ask this to anyone who's a little bit of a newer guest on the podcast. For me, it's been ace pitchers struggling, guys like Jacob deGrom, Chris Sale, and company not having Good starts of the year. Also, the Tampa Bay Rays being able to win 24 of their first 27 games by two-plus runs has been pretty amazing. What is something that, to you, has been just like, wow, I did not think this was going to happen? Tell you what, I'll say this. You're a Milwaukee oh, yeah. guy, and I saw this coming. I thought the Brewers were going to be, I picked them to win the NL Central. But Christian Yelich is just unbelievable. You think about the September that he had last year and the October that he had last year. You know, you can compare it to Carl Yastrzemski in 1967. I mean, the stats were basically identical when Yastrzemski carried the Red Sox to the World Series that year with one of the great Septembers in the history of baseball. And Yelich did the exact same thing last year, and he's done nothing but continue it into this season. So that's one of my main takeaways. I don't know if I have a, you know, total one main takeaways, but that's definitely one of them. So I'll give that to you as a Brewers guy. I've just been absolutely blown away by what Christian Yelich just continues to accomplish for the Milwaukee Brewers. In 44 games this year, entering into Friday, he's got 19 home runs. That is absolutely insane. If he were to play (laughs) 130 games, he would have 56 home runs. That tells it all right there. It's been absolutely insane. And Pete, I know something else that is completely insane, and that's how great a work you're doing out there with 98.5 The Sports Hub. I know you've got the podcast. I know you do a lot on social media as well. Let the good people know where they can hear your work, where they can find you, and just anything else you'd like to promote. Yeah, you can check me out uh, on 98.5 The Sports Hub. If you're familiar with our station, of course, you can check us out online, 98.5thesportshub.com. Do a lot of writing for the website there. My podcast for the station, Hardcore Baseball, it's predominantly a Red Sox podcast. But we do a lot of around the major stuff as well. We do some minor league stuff. A couple of weeks, we're going to preview the MLB draft. Uh, so stuff like that. So there's something there for baseball fans. If you're not a Red Sox fan, I mean, you know, understand that it's predominantly a Red Sox podcast. But we do a lot of stuff from around the majors as well. And yeah, that's uh, where you can check out my stuff. You can tweet at me at Matt McCarthy 98.5. I'm generally responsive. If you're nice, I'm really responsive. 
And if you're mean, sometimes I'm even more responsive to that. So you can check me out. Always there. have to like the snarkiness as Matt McCarthy certainly was not that on the podcast. A big thanks to him for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And now it is that time of the show in which I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board. As coming up next, we touch them all. Think your experience of Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Toronto Blue Jays and the Milwaukee Bucks to the next level with Yamble. Yamble is a brand new sports prediction app that lets you predict what will happen in the next play or the next few minutes of a game. Place your takes on the game and rack up points in real time as the game plays out. Highest scores get paid out in real cash every game. You heard me, real cash every single game. Yamble is like HQ Trivia, 100% free to download and play and pays out every single game. Just search Yamble in the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. That is Yamble, spelled out Y-A-M-B-L-E. They are running games every day now through the duration of the NBA playoffs. So download now and start yambling. That's Yamble, like Gamble with a Y. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And we're back here in the Zuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man, Matt McCarthy, out there with 98.5 The Sports Hub for joining me in the last segment. Now, it is that time of the show that I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board for this wonderful Friday in a little something I like to call... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that some of these plays are all signed, sealed, delivered, good to go, locked in, everything like that. Some of these plays, I'm waiting on some line moves, waiting on some lineups, who's all going to be available at the bullpen, everything like that. And I will be noting that as we go along. And as always, any games that are off the board and any plays that are not locked in, going to be noted on my Twitter page, at GUnit underscore 81. And as per usual, we are going to go in Las Vegas rotation order. And that starts with 951-952. The Cincinnati Reds are in Chicago to face off against the Cubs. Kyle Hendricks goes for the Cubs. Anthony DeScalfani for the Cincinnati Reds. This total is off the board because it all depends on the wind in Wrigley Field. And if you like the Reds, you're going to be getting a plus price here. Anywhere between plus 148 and plus 155. Want to lay it here with the Cubs. It's anywhere between minus 158 and minus 170. This is a spot where I do have to take a look at the plus price. I do like what I've seen out of Kyle Hendricks recently, but we do know that in his last start against the Washington Nationals, it feels like they were able to figure him out. This is a gentleman that just does not really toss hard. He throws in the upper 80s. He does a good job of being able to catch guys off guard, but I actually do like what I've seen out of Anthony DiScalfani this year as well. He's been giving up too much hard contact. 10 home runs in 45 innings, but he also has 50 strikeouts. He's limited the walks with 14 of them, and Kyle Hendricks is a guy that's able to go deep into games. He's went 56 innings so far this year. He had a streak of three starts in which he went eight-plus innings in all those starts. He's only given up five home runs, 11 walks, and he does a pretty good job of being able to pitch at home, but with the Cincinnati Reds, this is a team that does a very good job of being able to land some hard contact. It all starts with Eugenio Suarez. 254 average, 13 home runs, 31 RBI. He has been really carrying the mail for this team because Joey Votto just has not gotten online. At some point, you got to think so, but right now, hitting just a 208. Nick Senzel, 
who we got called up a few weeks ago, has been a good addition for this team hitting 240. Jesse Winker has a double-digit amount of home runs, but he too hitting only 221. You have to like that Dan Diedrich has his average up to a 250 to go along with his 12 home runs, so that's obviously been good. And then Jose Iglesias has been doing a nice job of being on base with an average of above 300. But what I also like about the Reds, top six bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. You've got guys like Amir Garrett and company that are all rested because they had a day off yesterday. They're going to be good to go. Meanwhile, with the Cubs, they really had to dive deep into their bullpen. You got to think that Kyle Hendricks is going to be able to give them a lot of innings, but you do have to now rely on some of those more fringe relievers like a Kyle Ryan and company to be able to close out the game. And with the Cubs, they're doing a pretty good job of hitting right now. Gotta like the fact that Anthony Rizzo was able to get a home run on Thursday. That was his 13th of the year. He's really been kicking things up. His average is up to a 274. Javi Baez hitting 320. He just missed a home run yesterday. Kyle Schwarber, despite the fact that he's only hitting 233, he's got seven dingers. Wilson Contreras, a double-digit amount of home runs to go with his 310 average. But you got some guys that are slumping. Jason A and Daniel Descalso have really come back to earth. Daniel Descalso, as a matter of fact, now hitting 205. Chris Bryant was using a pinch hitting roll yesterday. He's hitting 280 with a double digit amount of home runs, which is nice, but you don't know what form he's going to be in in this game, whether he's going to be able to start or not. David Bode's only hitting 250, and then Addison Russell has not been adding much ever since he's been inserted into the lineup. I do think that the Reds are going to be able to win this game, and I do think that Scalfani is going to be able to deliver a good start, and I think the bullpen is certainly going to have his back in this one. As far as the total, it's in wait-and-see mode. If the wind is blowing out, I'm probably going to take a look at it and over because I noticed that whenever the wind is blowing in, Kyle Hendricks is a whole lot more effective than when it's blowing out. I noticed that it was blowing out yesterday, and I think that there's going to be a little bit more of the same today. I've already locked in the Reds' money line as a play. As of right now, though, obviously there's no total up, so I can't really give you a set play there. 9.53, 9.54 on the betting rotation. The Miami Marlins head to Washington to face off against the Nationals. Pablo Lopez goes for the Miami Marlins. Kyle McGowan for the Washington Nationals. Total on this game is either 8.5 or 9. If you like the 8.5, over is minus 120, under is even juice. If you like the 9, the under is minus 120, the over is even juice. If you're looking at the Nationals here, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 140 and minus 155. If you like the fish, you're going to get anywhere between plus 130 and plus 145. This is one in which I do actually have to take a look at the Washington Nationals. We know how bad their bullpen is. Each of the last two days have completely dumpster-fired their way onto games. And with McGowan, this is a gentleman that has a very small sample size so far this year. He's pitched three innings. He's given up two runs. He hasn't given up any home runs. And he pitched a little bit for the Washington Nationals last year, but he really didn't get much of a chance to be able to showcase himself because, once again, it was a very limited sample size. He had a 5.87 ERA. He got one start and pitched a grand total of seven and two-thirds innings. Opponents only had 2.14 off of him, so I do think that there might be a possibility that he's going to be able to give some good plus stuff. And with the Nationals, their starting pitching has actually been good. Their bullpen has just been awful. The good news in this one is you should have some of the more trustworthy arms, I guess you could say, available for the Washington Nationals if there are any because they did not throw Sean Doolittle yesterday. They did not throw Kyle Bearclaw either, so those guys are going to be available. Meanwhile, with Mr. Lopez, it's hard to be able to trust him. 3-5 record, 5-0-6 ERA. Whip is actually a 117. That's not necessarily too bad. 13 walks and 48 innings, and has given up five home runs, but he just lends himself to opponents being able to hit him for a lot of average. He gives up a lot of extra base hits, and he's backed up by a Miami Marlins team that, let's face it, 
They're not necessarily hard-hitting, to say the least. Now, Garrett Cooper being able to get that grand slam yesterday against the Detroit Tigers was terrific, but this is still a team that is by far the worst team in the majors in regards to scoring runs, 2.8 per game. And right now, their best hitter is Jorge Alfaro. 2.44 average, 6 home runs, 13 RBI. Actually, after yesterday, it might be Garrett Cooper who was able to hit that home run, but the point is, they're not really getting much as Cooper hitting below the Mendoza line. Brett Anderson, 229. Sterling Castro, 227. Harold Ramirez is actually hitting a 296. He's been decent. He was able to get a home run in that series against the Tigers. I like what I've seen there. Neil Walker hitting 289 himself. Martin Prado gives you a little bit of something, but he doesn't play every day. Miguel Rojas is hitting 250 along with Martin Prado, and this is a Miami Marlins team that, let's face it, their bullpen's not necessarily good. You got guys like Trevor Kinney and Adam Conley that have their ERAs right around a 5.75 to a 6. And then you take a look at the other side for the Nationals. We all know about the bad bullpen, but they seem to be getting back some of their power bats, and they seem to be hitting well. Adam Eaton hitting 273 right now at the top of the lineup. Anthony Rendon, 9 home runs, 27 RBI, despite the fact that he spent a lot of time on the injured list. He's hitting 321. Juan Soto missed some time as well. He's hitting 268, 7 dingers, 30 RBI. This is a national team that no longer necessarily has the biggest difficulty of being able to score runs. They also get Matt Adams back in the lineup. He's a guy with some power. Brian Dozier seems to be coming around with the bat as well. He was able to drive in a couple runs during that series against the Mets. You're noticing that Jan Gomes is kicking up his average to 234. Gerardo Parra now at a 233. Both these guys were hovering right around the Mendoza line. Victor Robles has fallen off a little bit, but getting back Trey Turner also helps as well. He led the league in stolen bases last year. I think the Nationals are certainly going to be giving up some runs, especially in the bullpen, but I think they're going to get to Pablo Lopez and this bad Marlins bullpen as well. So for that reason, going to be riding the Washington Nationals, and I'm going to be taking this total over. Right now, I am in wait and see mode as to what price I'm going to be able to get on the Washington Nationals, but I have already locked in this total over. 9.55, 9.56 on the betting rotation. The LA Dodgers head to Pittsburgh to face off against the Pirates. Walker Buehler is going for the LA Dodgers, and this game is off the board because the Pittsburgh Pirates have no idea who their starter is. I've been reading reports on Twitter. They just legitimately have no idea who they want to start tomorrow. Goody, goody gumdrops. That means that we're probably going to be looking at the L.A. Dodgers here and probably an over. The Pittsburgh Pirates have really been kicking up the offense, and it all starts with Josh Bell. How about the way that this man is ranking right now? 339 average, 16 home runs, 47 RBI. The man is a machine, but the Dodgers, they also have a machine in Cody Bellinger. 17 home runs, 44 RBI, hitting 394 this year. I will also say the Dodgers have some untrustworthy bats, as do the Pittsburgh Pirates. So for the Pirates, you have to like that Melky Gabrera hitting right around 220. And then for the LA Dodgers, even though Jack Peterson's only hitting 227, he's got a double-digit amount of home runs. Max Muncy, 10 dingers to go with his 270 average. Josh Turner has really kicked up his home run power the past few weeks. He's hitting 282 as well. You got a couple guys like David Freeze and Kike Hernandez who are not hitting so well, but Alex Verdugo still hitting above 300. With the Dodgers, you also have a little bit of an untrustworthy bullpen. And with the Pittsburgh Pirates, you've got a bullpen that is so badly taxed right now as well, though. And with the Dodgers, they also had a day off the Pittsburgh Pirates. Well, they unfortunately did not. And with so many guys getting dinged up for them, 
in that game against the Colorado Rockies. It is one of those things where it gives the Dodgers a slight advantage. But you do have to like for the Pittsburgh Pirates that Kevin Newman is hitting 340. Starling Marte was able to go yard for his fifth home run of the year yesterday. He's kicked up his average ever since coming off the injured list. Gregory Polanco hitting nearly 280 with five home runs since he's come off the injured list. And then you've got guys like Colin Moran and Elias Diaz who both have their averages above 250 as well. So as of right now, currently looking at it over and I'm currently going to be looking at the LA Dodgers in some form. I know that Walker Buehler hasn't necessarily been the lights out guy that he was last year. 393 ERA, but just a 105 whip, and he hasn't been walking, guys, in 49 and a third innings. He's given up just 10 walks and 5 home runs, so I do like what I'm seeing there, but it's hard to give you overly much with the Pittsburgh Pirates not even knowing who their starter is, but as of right now, my leans are the Dodgers and the over, but check back on my Twitter page in the morning for set plays there. 957, 958 on the bang rotation. It is the Philadelphia Phillies taking on the Milwaukee Brewers. This is a game that is also off the board because these two teams were unsure of their pitchers until the evening. That will be Jared Eikhoff going for the Philadelphia Phillies and Chase Anderson for the Milwaukee Brewers. This is one where I feel like you're getting two undervalued pitchers here. I really like what I've seen out of Chase Anderson so far this year. 2-0 record. He's not necessarily went deep into his starts, but in 23 and two-thirds innings, he's issued just three home runs. The 13 walks are a little bit high, but he's gotten 25 punch-outs, 1-3-1 whip. Meanwhile, for Eikhoff, he's been doing a solid job for this team as well. 38 strikeouts in 39 innings. He's given up five home runs, so he has a tendency to give up the deep ball as well. And you got a pair of guys on these teams that are able to mash. We all know what Christian Yelich is able to do. Now, you want to check his status moving forward because he missed a couple games in that series against the Cincinnati Reds, but sounds like he'll probably be available in some form for this one. Hitting 325, 19 home runs, 41 RBI, and we even saw without him a couple days ago, the Brewers were just fine as they were able to put up 11 runs on the Cincinnati Reds. Meanwhile, for the Phillies, Reese Hoskins is really the guy that is doing the power work for the Philadelphia Phillies. 254 average, 11 home runs, 38 RBI. Then for the Phillies, you've got Gene Segura, who's done a nice job of being able to get on base. He's hitting 325, and they've needed it because Bryce Harper, right now leading the league in strikeouts, hitting just 235. He's been kicking things up with the power with nine home runs. JT Riamuto had seven home runs at a 273 average himself, but those have been a little bit of woes. Andrew McCutcheon has his average up to a 260. He looked good in that series against the Chicago Cubs. Getting back Sean Kingery is huge. He's hitting 362, but Odubo Herrera hitting just 218 is a big woe. Mikel Franco has really come back to earth ever since a good start to the year. He's hitting below 225, so you got some guys that are Really not getting the job done out there. Meanwhile, for the Milwaukee Brewers, Mike Moussakis was able to step up in the few games that Christian Yelich was out. He's now hitting 260. He's got 12 home runs on the year. Yasmani Grandel has nine dingers of his own. He's got a solid average at a 265. Lorenzo Cain is doing a good job of being able to get on base with a 270 average. Ben Gamble has been a nice find hitting 270. And Orlando Arcia seems to be kicking up his production as well. My early leans are to the Milwaukee Brewers. And if we get a total of something like eight and a half or nine, I'm going to take it over. Anything above nine, I'm probably going to be looking at an under. Depends on the juice shading and everything like that. And I do like the fact that the Milwaukee Brewers have been doing a solid job with their bullpen. Meanwhile, the Phillies, we saw them get badly taxed with their bullpen against the Chicago Cubs, having to run through everyone at Hector Neris. Flying 
for dear life for that save against the Chicago Cubs. So right now my leans are to the Brewers and the total is a little bit up in the air. But check back in the morning once again on my Twitter feed at GUNITERSGRADY1 for set plays. 959-960 on the bank rotation. The St. Louis Cardinals play host to the Atlanta Braves. Michael Fultonavich goes for the Atlanta Braves. Miles Mikolas for the St. Louis Cardinals. The total on this game is 9.5. And, and the over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115 juice. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you like the Cardinals, you're going to be laying minus 145 across the board. If you like the Braves, you're going to get a plus price anywhere between plus 130 and plus 135. This is a game in which I do think that travel is going to be coming into play a little bit. The Atlanta Braves are going to have to go from the West Coast to the Central Time Zone, and they had to wind up playing an extra inning game against the San Francisco Giants, which means that their bullpen is going to be badly taxed, which that really comes into play because Michael Fultonavich has been absolutely awful for the Atlanta Braves so far this year. 0-3 record, 6.91 ERA in 27 and a third innings. He's given up 10 home runs. That is a home run every 2.7 innings. That is horrendous. And after a bad start to the year, Mr. Mikolas has actually been pretty darn good. Now, he was not lights out against the Texas Rangers in his most recent start, giving up seven runs in one and a third innings. But in the three starts previous in the month of May, he gave up a grand total of three runs over the course of 20 innings. He has a 4.88 ERA. He's also been issuing some long balls. At 55 and a third innings, he's given up 10 home runs, but... Both these guys do a good job of keeping down the walks. Fultonavich, eight of them. Meanwhile, Mr. Miles has 10. But I do like the St. Louis Cardinals and the way that they provide some power as both these teams actually have some good home run hitters. You take a look at the Atlanta Braves. Dansby Swanson's been doing a nice job of driving guys in. He's got an average right around 250, eight home runs, 32 RBI. Freddie Freeman has been doing a little bit of everything for the Atlanta Braves. He's got 12 dingers on the year, over 30 RBI. His average is at a 320-ish. You've got Josh Allenson who's hitting 270 as well. But the real find has been Austin Riley. Ever since he got called up to the big leagues a little bit over a week ago, he's hitting nearly 370. He's got five home runs. He's been absolutely sensational. You've also got Flowers behind the dish. He's got five dingers. He and Brian McCann both doing a great job of getting on base. Charlie Culberson, whenever they need him out in the outfield, he's hitting nearly 400. He's been a good find. Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies both doing a tremendous job of getting on base as well. And then you take a look at the other side for the St. Louis Cardinals. Marcelo Zuna not necessarily hitting for average, but 14 home runs and 45 RBI. I would consider that to be pretty darn good. They've got a pair of guys that are hitting 300 or greater in Jose Ramirez and Paul DeYoung. Matt Carpenter has obviously been having his struggles, hitting just a 203, but he was able to get a home run in that doubleheader against the Kansas City Royals for his sixth of the year. Harrison Bader has his average up to a 260. He's been doing a good job. Dexter Fowler hitting more in the realm of 283 as well. Yadier Molina, after a slow start, has been getting things going, and you still got Paul Goldschmidt. You got to think that he's going to be able to improve on his 253 average. He's got 10 home runs so far this year, so he's still been providing some power, and he's still doing a good job of walking as well. So for that reason, I do have to take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. I just do not have much faith in Michael Fultonavich, and I think that the bullpen of the Atlanta Braves is going to give up some runs. Meanwhile, with the St. Louis Cardinals, you've got one of the top 10 bullpens out there in the big leagues. They've been doing a good job of being able to hold down leads. You've got so many guys that you're able to trust in. Andrew Miller, you got to think at some point, is going to turn things around, and then whatever you need to save. 
Jordan Hicks has been very good in that regard. So I'm going to be on the St. Louis Cardinals and going to be on the under. Currently, Wayne Seamode on both of these. I would like to be able to lay a little bit less juice with the St. Louis Cardinals and would like to be able to get an even price on the under as well because I'm noticing some money coming in on the over, but going to be playing both of those. We move on to 961, 962 on the betting rotation. It is the Arizona Diamondbacks, and they are on the road facing off against the San Francisco Giants. Drew Bomerantz goes for the San Francisco Giants. Robbie Ray for the D-backs. The total on this game is 7.5 with the over of juice between minus 110 and minus 105. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. If you like the Diamondbacks, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 133 and minus 128. The plus price on the Giants is anywhere between plus 115 and plus 123. Drew Pomerantz is a guy that I just have a really tough time of betting on. And then you take a look at the other side for the Diamondbacks. You've got a guy in Robbie Ray that is issuing a whole lot of free passes so far this year. Getting Pomerantz, 566 ERA, 160 whip in 35 innings. He hasn't been going deep in his starts. He's given up eight home runs and 18 walks. Robbie Ray has been doing an equally bad job of walking guys. 29 and 52 and two-thirds innings. Though what I will say about him is that he's limiting the hard contact. He's given up just four home runs and 67 strikeouts. Pretty impressive to go with his 325 ERA. I have a feeling that both these guys may not be long for this game. And with the San Francisco Giants, we're noticing that Derek Holland is having to step up with long relief, and he's not doing a very good job there. The San Francisco Giants have a lot of trustworthy guys out there in the bullpen, but they got taxed by that game yesterday against the Atlanta Braves. Meanwhile, for the Diamondbacks, they did not have to play yesterday, so that gives guys like Matt Andrees and company a chance to be able to recharge out there in the bullpen. And let's face it, the Arizona Diamondbacks have much better bats. As a team, they're hitting 252 so far this year. The Giants more in the realm of 220, and the Arizona Diamondbacks have 50% more home runs than the Giants. They've got 69, the Giants have 46, and it all starts with Eduardo Escobar. At the top of the lineup, he's been terrific, hitting 279, 11 home runs, 34 RBI. Gerard Dyson, one of the top base stealers out there in the big leagues, he does a good job with his average right around to 270. Nick Amat at the bottom of the lineup has been doing a solid job as well, hitting a 250. Christian Walker, who's come back to earth a little bit, hitting now a 262, but he's got some pop. Adam Jones, the same. He's been able to hit 265, and he's got nine home runs so far this year to go along with Cattell Marte, who has been doing a terrific job of being able to drive guys in. 260 average, nine dingers, 31 RBI. Meanwhile, you take a look at the San Francisco Giants. Right now, your best power hitter is Pablo Sandoval. He's hitting nearly 290, 7 home runs, 16 RBI. That's been terrific. Kevin Pillar has been able to provide 23 RBI. That's good, but his average is not where you want it to be, as it is with so many other guys on this lineup right now. Pilar hitting just above the Mendoza line. They're giving a lot of starts to Mac Williamson. He is hitting below a 140 right now. Donovan Solano is getting some more time as well. He's hitting a buck 25. Buster Posey has been in and out of the lineup. He's hitting 250 for this team, but then you got Brandon Belt hitting a 228. Evan Longoria, 235. Joe Panic at a 257 is holding down the fort. Meanwhile, Stephen Duger, his average is down to a 240. You got so many guys in this lineup that you just cannot trust for the San Francisco Giants. This is a little bit more of a pitcher's ballpark, but I do think that the Diamondbacks are going to be able to get to Pomeranz. They're going to get to those untrustworthy long relievers, and they're going to be able to get a convincing win in this one. So right now, I'm in wait and see mode on the Diamondbacks because I'm noticing a little 
bit of steam coming in on the San Francisco Giants. And I'm going to be playing this total over as well. I noticed that the under is getting a little bit of play right now, so I'm in wait and see mode there. But going to be playing the Diamondbacks and the over in this spot. 963, 964 on the bang rotation. It is the Tampa Bay Rays, and they are in Cleveland to face off against the Indians. Shane Bieber fever for the Indians. Blake Snell toes the rubber for the Tampa Bay Rays. Total in this game is 7.5. With the over anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115 juice, the under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you like the Rays, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 134 and minus 140. The plus price on the Indians is anywhere between plus 124 and plus 126. Blake Snell has been a little bit of a mystery so far this year, but I do feel like he's really starting to refine his form after he took those two losses to the Kansas City Royals. Meanwhile, you take a look at Shane Bieber. This is a guy that's going to leave you a little bit restless because he does give up some hard contact. In 58 and two-thirds innings, he's had some very good joins with 69 strikeouts, only given up 13 walks. He's able to go deep into his starts because he has that good command, but he's also given up 10 home runs. Blake Snell, meanwhile, 3-3-1 ERA. Very comparable to Shane Bieber's 3-2-2. Both these guys have a whip of a either a 1 or a 1-0-1, but with Snell, 71 strikeouts in 49 innings. He's given up just 12 walks. Six home runs. I like what he's doing. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, we saw them be able to play some home run derby against the Cleveland Indians yesterday. They were able to get three home runs in the first two innings of that game. And this team is just completely different with Austin Meadows out there in the lineup. He is their big bat. He's hitting over 320, nine home runs, 24 RBI. He has been terrific for this team. Avicio Garcia has all of a sudden emerged with the bat. He had his ninth home run of the year yesterday. He's hitting nearly 280, along with Tommy Pham, who had a home run yesterday. He's hitting 280. G-Man Choi, 265 average, has been solid. Brandon Lowe has 10 home runs to go with his 285 average. You've got a lot of guys that they're not necessarily going to jump off out there off the page. You've also got some woes with the catcher spot. They had to play Eric Kratz yesterday, but all in all, you've got a lot of solid guys that do a decent job of getting on base, and they're able to provide some power as needed, even without Yandy Diaz in the lineup. Meanwhile, the Cleveland Indians. Things were so bad that they had to DFA Carlos Gonzalez. They're just not getting a lot of hitting from anyone at this point. Looked like things were turning around against the Chicago White Sox and the Baltimore Orioles, but we forgot that they're the White Sox and the Orioles. Francisco Lindor is doing his job. He's got a 291 average. He's been able to belt out seven home runs, and then you've got Carlos Santana, who's been on a little bit of a power surge. He's hit like four home runs in the past 10 days. He's hitting 287 for the team, but Jason Kipnis still has not found it. He's hitting 215. Jose Ramirez still hitting right at the Mendoza line. Jake Bowers is hitting below 230 along with Leonis Martin. They were looking like they were getting something out of Oscar Mercado. He has since come back to earth. Their catcher spot is in all sorts of flux as well. And then Jordan Luplo seems to only be able to hit home runs against the Chicago White Sox and his average is a 235. So with that said, I take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays in this spot. I really think that they're going to be able to pound Shane Bieber. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, they've been using their bullpen quite a bit. So I do think that they're maybe going to give up a run or two in this spot. But I think that they get to Shane Bieber in this spot. I think that they're able to pound out a lot of runs. I think that they continue to hit home runs. So for that reason, going to be on the Rays and the over. Noticing a little bit of steam coming in on the Cleveland Indians. And we're noticing that this total is staying very stagnant. So I'm going to try to see if I'm able to get a little bit more even juice. So going to be on the Rays and the over. Only question is what set prices I'm going to be able to get on both. 965, 966 on the betting rotation. The Chicago White Sox head to the Twin Cities to face off against the Twins. 
Jose Barrios goes for the Minnesota Twins. Ronaldo Lopez for the Chicago White Sox. Total in this game is 9 and the over-under. Both have juice of minus 110. If you like the Twins, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 210 and minus 220. If you want to take a shot here on the White Sox, that is plus 190 across the board. Jose Barrios has come back to earth a little bit for the Minnesota Twins, but... I trust him a whole lot more than our man Lopez. He's had some good starts so far this year, Lopez has, including getting 14 punch-outs in six innings against the Detroit Tigers, and he actually looked really good against the Toronto Blue Jays in his most recent start, giving up just one run in six innings. As a matter of fact, in his last two starts, he looked very good, but then he has those starts like he did at the beginning of May, where he gave up six runs in five innings against the Boston Red Sox, and he gives up a lot of hard contact. 11 home runs in 56 innings go with 25 walks. Not necessarily a great command there. Brios has actually given up a lot of hard contact as well. Nine home runs in 63 and two-thirds innings, but he is a different pitcher at target field than he is on the road. He is very dominant when he is at home, and that is the reason why I'm going to be playing this total under. And then with our man Lopez, he's facing off against a Minnesota Twins team that they were just absolutely pummeling the Angels yesterday, and this is a team that for the year... Entering into yesterday's action, had 90 home runs in their first 48 games of the season. It's been absolutely amazing. We do know that the Minnesota Twins having a little bit of issues out there with their bullpen, but fortunately for them, Barrios has been perennially going deep into his starts this year. And then you just take a look up and down this lineup. Miguel Sano has four home runs in about the week plus that he's been off the injured list. Williams Estadio hitting 263. He's able to provide a little bit of power. Max Kepler, 10 home runs to go with his 262 average. Jorge Polanco is hitting 344 to go along with nine home runs. CJ Crone, 13 home runs. Eddie Rosario, 271 average. He's got 14 home runs. Shot that scope, 10 home runs. The list goes on and on and on. Meanwhile, with the Chicago White Sox, they actually looked solid in their series against the Houston Astros going into their game on Thursday. Jose Abreu was really the man getting the job done for the team. 265 average, 12 dingers, 40 RBI. Tim Anderson has a great average for this team, hitting 322. Yuan Mancata and Lourdes Garcia at the top of the lineup, both guys hitting in the neighborhood of 275 and 280. You also have to like the fact that they're getting some contributions out of the catcher spot James McCann. It seems like he's really taken over for Wellington Castillo, who's hitting below the Mendoza line, and Yonder Alonso has also been hitting below the Mendoza line, but getting back Eloy Jimenez is huge. He had two home runs in that a big upset win on Wednesday over the Houston Astros. Sitting just 233, but he's been a solid ever since coming off the injury list. And Charlie Tilson did a good job of being able to get on base with his 304 average. What I do also like about the White Sox is that their bullpen has been pitching much better recently, but I don't think it's going to matter because I think the Twins really get into Ronaldo Lopez. I think they ding him up for quite a few runs. I think Barrios gives a good start, and I think that the Twins should be able to win this one convincingly while the White Sox get held down on offense. So for that reason, I am all aboard the Twins run line. I'm seeing a run line price between minus 105 and minus 110 with them. I've already locked that in. I've already locked in the under as well. Game 967-968 on the banging rotation. It is the Boston Red Sox on the road facing off against the Houston Astros. Wade Miley toes the rubber for the Astros. Chris Sale goes for the Boston Red Sox. I am completely unsure why, but this game is off the board. I've known about this pitching matchup for a few days, so I'm not quite sure why this game is off the board, but we've noticed that Chris Sale 
has been a massive favorite all year long. This is a spot where I'm expecting a plus price here with the Houston Astros. As long as I'm getting that plus price, I'm certainly going to be taking it. We know that George Springer is a little bit injured for the Houston Astros. He had to miss the last couple of days for this team, but if he's out there in the lineup, look out because he's hitting 313, 17 home runs, 42 RBI, and even without him, the Houston Astros as a whole has been a very solid team. They've got the number one bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues, though. You got to like what you've seen out of the Boston Red Sox as well. We talked about it in the last segment with Matt McCarthy. They've got so many guys other than Tyler Thornburg that you can really trust in. And then with the Red Sox in general, you're getting a lot of good hitting from the team. Mitch Moreland hitting 238 with 13 home runs and 34 RBI. I really don't think that anyone saw that coming. I think that we all saw Mookie Betts being able to hit 290 with some power. I think that that was pretty reasonable. They do have a couple guys out there that are really struggling with the bat. Steve Pierce. Eduardo Nunez and Jackie Bradley Jr. all hitting below the Mendoza line, but Christian Vasquez has been doing a terrific job of getting on base. Xander Bogarts has his average up to a 289. Rafael Devers hitting 315. He hit a home run a couple days ago. Michael Chavis has been sensational for the team. And they're without J.D. Martinez right now, a guy that's hitting above 300. He was supplying some power before he got injured as well, so that is something that you really do have to note. They're obviously without a lot of their other arms as well, which is why I do give the edge here to the Houston Astros. The Astros have Josh Reddick, who's really been kicking things up, and as a team, they're hitting right in the realm of 280. It's just so hard to be able to stop. I know that Chris Sale has looked a lot better recently, but his command is still not quite there, along with the velocity. We all remember the 17-strikeout game he had against the Colorado Rockies a few weeks ago, but the team still wound up losing that game as well, because he gave up a home run, and you've got so many home run hitters for the Houston Astros. Alex Bregman, 15 dingers so far this year. Josh Reddick hitting 331. Michael Brantley, double-digit amount of home runs. He's hitting 325. Carlos Correa, double-digit amount of home runs. He's hitting nearly 300. Heck, Robinson Torinos and Jake Marizic are hitting bombs for this team right now. So as long as I'm getting a plus price here, I'm going to be leaning towards the Houston Astros. As far as the total, this is essentially to be determined. It really depends on the number because anything above 8, I would have to take a look at an under. Anything below 7.5, I would certainly have to take a look at an over, though. 7.5, I'd probably be still looking at and over because the Houston Astros are that good. We know that they can sometimes be a little bit famine, so it all depends on the number with the total, but as long as I'm getting a plus price, I'm probably going to be looking at the Astros here. Check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSquare81 for set plays, though. I'm also going to be gathering a little bit more injury information on J.D. Martinez and George Springer. That could also sway my opinion on that as well. 969, 970 on the bank rotation. It is the New York Yankees in Kansas City to face off against the Royals. It is going to be Chad Green being the opener for the New York Yankees. Meanwhile, Jake Junis goes for the Kansas City Royals. This game is presently off the board, but I can tell you right now, I'm going to be taking a look at the Yankees run line, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over. We remember the last time Chad Green was the opener for the New York Yankees. He wound up giving up some runs, and then from there, the team went with a wholesale approach with guys like Adam Adovino and company coming in. Nestor Cortez Jr. wound up coming into the game for four innings. He wound up giving up three runs in that stint, but they did have Chance Adams be able to give them some relief as well. So I do think that the Yankees are going to be able to go with that wholesale approach. They're probably going to give up some runs to a Kansas City Royals team that they're very top-heavy. You've got Adalberto Mondesi, who's hitting 287 with five home runs and 
40 RBI. He's actually been a machine for this team at the top of the lineup. And then you got Wood Merrifield, who's doing a great job of being able to get on base. 292 average there. Alex Gordon doing a little bit of everything for this team. He's hitting just below 290 with his eight home runs. Got like the way that Hunter Dozier has hit 10 home runs to go with his 302 average. But then you've got the guys that are really lacking for this team. Ryan O'Hearn, Martin Maldonado, Gallagher. The list goes on and on of guys that are hitting 205 or worse. Though I will say that Jorge Soler hitting nearly 250 to go along with 11 home runs and 31 RBI has been nice. And with the New York Yankees, this team is on a power surge. Gary Sanchez hitting 276. 15 home runs and 31 RBI. This man was on the injured list earlier this year. Luke Voigt, 12 dingers, 35 RBI. He's hitting nearly 265. You've got DJ LeMay, who's been doing a terrific job of being able to get on base. He has upped his average to a 324. Gio Ursula hitting 333. Brett Gardner only hitting 227, but he's really been kicking it up in recent days. You've got guys like Clint Frazier and Kevin Mabin that have been coming back to earth a little bit, but Thario Estrada is hitting 300. Glaber Torres above 300. He's got a double-digit amount of home runs as well. You've got so many dangerous players for this New York Yankees team. And then with Jake Junis, he just has not been very good this year. 3-5 and five record, 569 ERA, 1-5-0 whip. He's been taken deep 10 times in 55 in the third innings, 21 walks. He doesn't do a good job of being able to have command. And we saw the Yankees in that series earlier in the year against the Royals. They lost that first game, but then after that, they were just pounding guys like Jake Junis and company. And with their Royals, they got one of the worst bullpens out there in the big leagues. So I'm going to be looking at the Yankees run line and the over in this spot. Just check back in the morning for set plays on this game on my Twitter feed at GNRSquarty1. 971-972 on the banging rotation. The Seattle Mariners head to Oakland to face off against the A's. Daniel Megden goes for the A's. Wade LeBlanc for the Seattle Mariners. The total on this game is 9, with the over anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120 on the 9. And then we're seeing some 9.5s pop up as well. The under on the 9.5s is minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you like the Seattle Mariners, you're getting a plus price anywhere between plus 140 and plus 145. Want to lay it here with the A's. That is anywhere between minus 155 and minus 160. I just don't see how Daniel Megden warrants this good of a price. I know that he looked good in his second start of the year, but he got rocked in his first start. He's been a little bit if iffy coming off the injured list. He's went 12 in the third innings in his two starts, and he's given up six walks. He doesn't necessarily have great command. Wade LeBlanc, meanwhile, he has not had a good year, and he's coming off the injured list. 2-1 record, 7.36 ERA. He's given up six home runs in 18 in the third innings. It's not very good no matter how you look at it, but I do feel like both these guys are going to be able to get on track because Wade LeBlanc actually looked very good last year. I think that he might be able to fool the Oakland A's a little bit, and the A's were able to do a good job of hitting against the Cleveland Indians, but all in all this year, they haven't necessarily been mashing, and we know that with the Marine layer, it's hard to be able to drive the ball out in Oakland since this is going to be a night game. Chris Davis seems to be getting online. He's hitting 248, 12 home runs, 29 RBI. You like what you're seeing out of him. Marcus Simeon, though, Right now, has one of the best averages on the team with a 265. He and Matt Chapman have really come back to earth. Chapman hitting a 262. I will say that Jeff Feigley, whenever he's in the lineup, has been doing a great job with his average right around a 280. But then you've got Chad Pinder, who's coming off the injured list. He's been solid for the team, but he's been a little bit in and out. Mark Hanna was able to really get things rolling against the Indians. He now has seven home runs to go with his 225 average. But Robbie Grossman now hitting 220. 
Ramon Loreno is mainly out there for his glove. He's hitting right around 240. And then you got Matt Olson, who's now hitting 250, and he's been providing some home runs. But then you also have Jerickson Profar, who's hitting at the Mendoza line. Meanwhile, the Seattle Mariners, they don't necessarily hit for average, but my goodness, do they hit for power. 93 home runs as a collective through 52 games so far this year. It is all spearheaded by Daniel Vogelbach, who's hitting 258. 14 home runs, 38 RBI. You've got Domingo Santana with 38 RBI and 265 average. Their main guy for average is D. Gordon, who's hitting a 280, and Omar Navarez in that neighborhood as well. And then you got like that Edwin Encarnacion has come on with the bat as well. 13 home runs to go with his 354 average. He's been hot recently. Jay Bruce hitting below the Mendoza line, but he's provided 12 home runs of his own. You've got so many guys with so much power for these Seattle Mariners. And you've also got a bad bullpen for them. But then with the Oakland A's, you always know that there's the option that you might get Fernando Rodney. Whenever you see Fernando Rodney coming in, it should be more like Fernando no Rodney that you're saying because he's so bad. Joaquin Soria did a good job in the game against the Indians a couple days ago, but he's an untrustworthy arm. We've noticed that J.B. Wendell Kirk has not gotten the job done for the team as well. Other than Blake Tryon and Lou Trevino, they've got a lot of untrustworthy arms. So for that reason, going to be on the plus price here with the Seattle Mariners. And with the Marine layer and the Seattle Mariners cooling down a little bit, I'm going to be on this total under as well. Just in wait and see mode because I'm noticing that the under of 9.5 is juice. I would like to be able to get an unjuiced 9.5. And I want to try to get as much value as possible out of the Seattle Mariners. So in wait and see mode on the set numbers, but going Mar- Mariners and under here. 973, 974 on the bank rotation. The Texas Rangers are in Los Angeles. Face off against the Angels. Drew Smiley toes the rubber for the Texas Rangers, and Griffin Cannon goes for the Angels. If you like the Angels, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 155 and minus 160. The plus price here on the Rangers, anywhere between plus 140 and plus 145. Total on this game is 9.5 with the over anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110 juice. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Oh boy, our man Drew Smiley has not been having a very good year so far this year. He spent many years outside the major leagues and it shows because he currently has an 0-3 record. I don't think he's won past five innings in a start so far this year, by the way. He's given up six home runs in 27 and a third innings. The 31 strikeouts are nice. The 20 walks, not so much. And Canning, He's a guy with a lot of promise. He's got some good plus stuff. 24 strikeouts and 21 and a third innings for his first four starts. He's given up four home runs. That's a little bit too many. And with both these lineups, they're both really rounding into form with regards to their power. We all know what Joey Gallo can do. 293 average with 15 home runs and 35 RBI. At some point, this is going to regress. But until that happens, it's pretty darn awesome. Elvis Andrews doing a terrific job of getting on base. He's hitting 325. And then you've got some other guys for the Texas Rangers that have been doing a solid job of being able to get on base as well. Sinchu Chu hitting just below 300. Danny Santana, 314. Hunter Pence, 312. And Pence has provided 10 home runs himself. You've got Noah Mazzara, who's able to hit some home runs. He's hitting 265. Logan Forsyth hitting above 300. Then you do have some famine bats as well. As Rubo Cabrera, Ronald Guzman, Isaiah Kinnear-Felfa, and Rudnett Odor all hitting below 220 at this point, but you know that with Cabrera and Odor, you're getting a lot of power as well. And then you take a look at the flip side for the LA Angels. They have some guys that are really starting to step up with the bats. 
Brandon Goodwin, Tommy Lastella, and Daniel Fletcher all hitting 297 or better. And in the case of Tommy Lastella, he's really been providing the power. 12 home runs, 31 RBI. Albert Pujols hitting just 237 so far this year, but he's got eight dingers of his own. Mike Trout is well. Mike Trout, 289 average, 11 home runs, 28 RBI. Got a couple guys that are struggling out there with the bad. Zach Cozart hitting way below the Mendoza line. And ever since he's been getting more reps out there in the infield. Louis Renfigo has been hitting below the Mendoza line as well, but Jonathan Lucroy hitting 270 has been a nice little find for this team as well. And with the Angels, they've got one of the more trustworthy bullpens out there in the big leagues. Certainly did not show yesterday against the Minnesota Twins, but all in all, you have to like guys like Hansel Robles and company that are able to come in for them. Meanwhile, with the Texas Rangers, their bullpen is B-R-U-T-A-L. Brutal. You got so many guys like Jose Leclerc, Jesse Chavez, and company that you just cannot rely on. They've got most of their guys out there in the bullpen with a DRA above five. I just have no faith in them whatsoever. And I do think that the Angels are going to be able to hit them and hit them hard, which is why I'm looking at the Angels on the run line in this spot. Currently seeing a run line price between plus 110 and plus 115. I'm going to wait and see more to try to see if I'm able to get a little bit more. And then I'm going to be playing this total over as well. We'd like to see if this total continues to dip a little bit because I'm noticing that the under is getting a little bit of action. So I'm right now in wait and see mode on both these, but going to be playing a run line of the Angels and the over in this spot. 975, 976 on the betting rotation. The San Diego Padres are heading north of the border to face off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Trent Thornton goes for the Jays. Meanwhile, Joey Lucchese for the San Diego Padres. Total this game is 8.5, and the over and under are both at minus 110. If you like the San Diego Padres, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. Plus price on the Blue Jays across the board is between plus 110 and plus 114. I actually like what I've seen out of Trent Thornton recently. The Blue Jays have won four out of his last five starts, and he's only gotten the credit for one win so far this year, so he's been a little bit of a tough luck guy in that respect. And Joey Lucchese has been pitching quite well for the San Diego Padres as well. 3-3 three three record, 4-8 ERA, but that doesn't tell the story. His fielding independent is a 3-3-3. That's one of the better ones that you're going to find out there in the big leagues, and he's been doing a good job of being able to limit the walks. In 48 and a third innings, he's given up just 13 walks and five home runs. Meanwhile, with Thornton, he's had a little bit of a walks issue, 22 walks in 49 innings, and he's got a 4-4-1 ERA for the year, but in his last five starts, he's got an ERA more around a 3-1-8, so it seems like he's really gotten a little bit more comfortable out there in the big leagues. And then with the Toronto Blue Jays, you do have a lot of good guys out there in the bullpen. He's backed up by a top-five bullpen. Meanwhile, with the Padres, you know that Kirby Yates and... Craig Stamen do a very good job in the 7th and 8th innings, but then you've got guys like Matt Whistler, Brad Weak and company that they're just not good as bridge guys as well, so I give a little bit of an edge there to the Toronto Blue Jays. And both these teams are very light hitting. These are two of the bottom seven teams with regards to batting average out there in the big leagues, and the Toronto Blue Jays have been playing a lot of unders so far this year. The totals at the Rogers Center so far this year, 15 unders, 9 overs, and a push. So that's something that you want to note. But I will say that the Blue Jays are starting to get a little bit more power. Rowdy Tellez, 9 home runs, 25 RBI. He's hitting 255. Freddie Galvis has his average at a 265. He's not providing a lot of pop. And Justin Smoke has been a disappointment this year as well. He's only hitting 220, but he's hit a home run in each of the last two days to give him 8 on the campaign. Vlad Guerrero Jr., has been doing a little bit better ever since a rough start. He's now hitting 245 home runs, so he's really been getting the job done with regards to being able to provide some power. Eric Sogard has really seen his average dip. He's now hitting just a 265. Brandon Drury seems to be doing a little bit better. He's up to a 222 with his average, though that's not good. And Billy McKinney, 
hitting at 230 is not good, and the whole catcher spot, just forget about it for the Toronto Blue Jays. Meanwhile, with the San Diego Padres, don't have a lot of guys that are doing a great job with average as well. Eric Hosmer at 285 is nice. He's got seven home runs to go with 28 RBI, and Fenmiel Reyes has been terrific. Ever since the slow start to the year, he's been mashing 15 home runs, 27 RBI, and he's hitting 258, but Manny Machado is still leaving a little bit of something to be desired. He's hitting 267, and he's been able to hit some dingers, but it's just not quite what you're expecting out of a $300 million guy. Will Myers is hitting 230. You've got Manuel Margot has seen his average dip to a 240. Ty France is hitting right at the Mendoza line. Whenever Ian Kinsler's in the lineup, he's providing a batting average less than 200. The whole catcher spot for them has also been a blow-up spot, and Greg Garcia has been doing a good job of being able to walk. He's hitting right around 265, and he's got a good on-base percentage, but I do think that the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be able to pull out another good Trent Thornton start, and I think that they're going to be able to win a lower-scoring game. So, have already locked in the Toronto Blue Jays and the under in this spot. 977-978 on the bang rotation. You've got the Detroit Tigers in New York to face off against the Mets. I don't know how this guy keeps getting starts. Gregory Soto is going for the Detroit Tigers. Meanwhile, for the New York Mets, you've got Noah Syndergaard. The Tigers were undecided on a starter, probably because they were just sort of like, dear sweet mother mercy, do we really have to send out their Gregory Soto once again? So that's why we don't have a line, but I can tell you right now, we're looking at the Mets on the run line and we're looking at it over. The fact that Gregory Soto is getting another start is just absolutely befuddling to me. He's now had four starts in the major leagues this year, and in seven years in the minor leagues, he had three starts at the double-A level or better. This is just absolutely mind-boggling. Why don't they send up their Casey Mize? I don't know, but right now, Gregory Soto, let's take a look at his numbers. In three starts, he's won a grand total of 10 innings. He's given up two home runs, six walks, 1080 ERA, 220 whip. That'd be an impressive bench press, his whip would be, for a set of 10, which means that he's got to be sucking. Meanwhile, with Noah Syndergaard, he hasn't necessarily been great this year. 450 ERA. In 64 innings, he's got 63 punch-outs, and he's only given up 14 walks, but the eight home runs are a little bit high. The good news for him, though, is that the Detroit Tigers, second-worst offense out there in the big leagues, and second-fewest home runs of any team. 36 home runs so far this year in 47 games. Ronnie Rodriguez is essentially their best hitter. He's hitting 269, six home runs, 19 RBI. Miguel Cabrera is hitting nearly 300, but just one home run so far this year. And then you've got so many guys for the Detroit Tigers that just can't get on to save their lives. I mean, Nick Cassianos is out hitting 265. That's nice, but... Nico Goodrum, Grayson Griner, Darwell Lugo, Jacoby Jones, and Christian Stewart. All hitting 215 or worse. Gordon Beckham hitting a 240 at the double lineup is decent. And Brandon Dixon, it's been a nice find for the team as well, but not too many redeeming qualities there. Meanwhile, the Mets are coming off a big sweep of the Washington Nationals. And Pete Alonso continues to rake. 250 average, 16 home runs, 37 RBI. Not having Jeff McNeil in the lineup for a few of these games has hurt them because he's hitting 333. But we saw Carlos Gomez be able to get a home run against the Washington Nationals yesterday. You've got to like the way that they were able to get a home run out of Rajay Davis a few days ago. That was absolutely unbeknownst to me. Wilson Ramos has his average up to a 250. J.D. Davis is hitting a 283. And the fact that they're going up against Gregory Soto and a Detroit Tigers bullpen that, let's face it, it's in the bottom five of the majors for a reason. They've got guys like Zach Runnington with an ERA around nine. Heck, their bullpen is so bad they allowed a ninth inning grand slam to the Marlins yesterday. This is one which you just have to look at the Mets on the run line and the over of Set plays in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNNR Squared E1 in case the line makers post a line of like 
an over-under of 16 or something like that, but expect that to be the play. And we finish off with 979-980 on the bang rotation. The Baltimore Orioles head to Colorado to face off against the Rockies. Jonathan Means goes for the Baltimore Orioles. It is good old to be determined for the Colorado Rockies. I hear he has great heat, but is a little bit of a mystery. Hopefully you guys enjoy that joke. And because of that being the case, it is currently off the board. As of what I'm seeing right now, it looks like Jeff Hoffman is going to be going for the Colorado Rockies. And if that's the case, I'm actually going to have to look at the Baltimore Orioles. If there's one guy that I feel like actually does a good job of being able to give some starts for the Baltimore Orioles that's not named Andrew Kashner, it is Jonathan Means. 5-4 and four record. 268 ERA. He doesn't necessarily go deep into his starts. Expect like a five, maybe six inning start here, but 43 and two thirds innings. He's given up 13 walks, six home runs. Not a big swing and miss guy. And he's going to be going up against a guy in Hoffman that's made one start so far this year. He's won a total of five innings. He has a 720 ERA. Not a guy that I necessarily have a lot of faith in. He got some starts last year and a couple years prior, and he just has never succeeded at the MLB level. And with the Baltimore Orioles, they have some guys that are able to provide some power. Renato Nunez only hitting 223, but he's got 10 home runs at 25 RBI. Trey Boom Boom Mancini, 301 average, 10 home runs. Dwight Smith Jr. hitting 270. He's got eight dingers of his own. You're noticing that some of these guys are doing a little bit of a lesser job of being able to get on base. Jonathan VR has seen his average dip to a 244. CV Wilkerson, a 258. Though it was encouraging that even though he's still hitting below the Mendoza line, Richie Martin was able to get his first home run of the year. Chris Davis still hitting below 200, but ever since he was over the century, he's done a decent job. And Rio Ruiz has kicked his average up to a 250. Now with the Colorado Rockies, you've got a team that's doing a great job of being able to hit. Even though they lost yesterday to the Pittsburgh Pirates in convincing fashion, it wasn't because of the bats, and it's certainly not because of Nolan Arenado. 316 average, 11 home runs, 35 RBI. He's doing a little bit of everything for this team. Trevor Story has been doing a nice job of being able to provide a good story for this team. He's got 11 dingers. He's hitting 270. David Dahl hitting nearly 300, along with Remiel Tapio, who's hitting 290. Ryan McMahon has kicked things up with his power. He's now hitting a 252, and he was able to get a couple home runs against Pittsburgh a few days ago. He's got five of them on the year. And then you're noticing that at the second base spot, they're giving some starts to Brandon Rogers, who's hitting nearly 300. It's been a good sign for them as well. So you've got some guys that are doing a good job of being able to hit for the Colorado Rockies. And heck, even Ian Desmond has kicked his average up a little bit. And Charlie Blackman at the top of the lineup is hitting 300 as well. With the Rockies, their bullpen has been very, very badly taxed, to say the least. Yesterday against the Pittsburgh Pirates, they had to trot out there a little bit of everyone, and nobody was getting the job done. You notice that Cesar Estevez had his ERA climb all the way up to a 476. Mike Dunn had to be used. You have to think that you're probably going to have to see someone like a DJ Johnson, who has not been doing good. So, oh, did not enter into the game yesterday. He's got an ERA near 8 for the Colorado Rockies. So, with the Baltimore Orioles, you have to be weary of their bullpen as well. So, this is a spot where... My magic number on this game is 11. If the total is 11 or lower, I'm going to be taking it over. At 11.5, I would have to start to look at the under, though even if it is 11.5, I might be still looking at the over in all honesty, but certainly looking at the Orioles and an over in this spot, but I won't be able to know for sure until I see a set line on this play, so check back on my 
Twitter feed at underscore 81 in the morning for set plays on this, which is also where you can ask a question if you ever have it for this fine podcast, which you can subscribe to on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. A big thanks to our man Matt McCarthy out there with 98.5 The Sports Hub for joining me in the second segment, and let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. Thank you all for listening in to MLB Overtime Betting today, and I hope to catch you guys once again tomorrow after a successful day here on Friday.